Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Ed Harris returns to the stage for an iconic role. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, another fantastic actor who I've never had on the podcast makes his debut on today's edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. And I mean it when I say it, he is one of our greats. I always know when Ed Ed Harris pops up on the screen, quality work is coming right at me, and I'm sure you agree. Uh, He is currently starring as Atticus Finch himself in Aaron Sorkin's uh, interpretation of the the beautiful Harper Lee work to kill a mockingbird. It is on Broadway right now. Ed has uh, taken over for Jeff Daniels in the lead role. This is a uh, a great performance and a fantastic show. Um, It's, he's only going to be doing it. I think he said for about hmm, three, four more months. So get your tickets now because um, he's fantastic. I saw the show last night. Uh, the play, I mean, you know the story. If you, We've all read To Kill a Mockingbird, but it is definitely a, uh, it honors that story, but it is definitely treated in a different way in terms of story structure. And as you might expect, uh, Ed Harris is fantastic in the, uh, in the lead role. Um, you know, he won't make you forget Gregory Peck, nor should you, but it is a different take on a, uh, on a fantastic role. So check it out, To Kill a Mockingbird, now on Broadway. And just a distinct pleasure to have Ed Harris um, on the show to talk about an amazing, uh, amazing career acting, four Oscar nominations in a storied career, um, and we cover a lot of it. So really thrilled to have him on the show today. Beyond that, I have some important, exciting news, guys. Okay, so I hope you're sitting down. I'm gonna give you a second. You ready? Okay, good. Happy, sad, confused is going live. I've been thinking about doing this for a long, long time. We are about to do our very first live, happy, sad, confused event in New York City, just in time for the holidays. So uh, tickets are on sale. This is all going to charity. It is gonna be benefiting uh, two great organizations, uh, NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council, all they're doing is basically saving the planet. And Community Works, which is a nonprofit theater organization uh, in New York doing great work. Um, and you might be asking, okay, what is it? Okay, here it is. December 22nd, the Bell House Theater in New York, in Brooklyn. Uh, it's going to be me and David Harbour and friends. So me and David uh, for a big old show talking about his career, his life, the holidays, games, fun, maybe a little singing. Uh, who knows? David Harbour, if you've heard his podcast uh, before on Happy Sad Confused, you know he's one of the best. Um, so thrilled that he's going to be the main guest on this very first live edition of Happy Sad Confused. Additional guests will be there. We've got Justin Long, we've got Patrick Wilson, we've got a lot of surprises, Um, some really cool stuff coming up for this show. I I couldn't be more excited. You can buy tickets right now. Go to thebellhouseny.com, thebellhouseny.com. Look for the event. It's on December 22nd. And uh, the good news, as I said, all proceeds are going to charity. There's also, I should say, some VIP tickets available in which you'll get a signed Stranger Things poster from David Harbour. 
So I don't know what more I could be offering you guys. I'm offering you entertainment, charity, signed paraphernalia. It's going to be great. And if you've been a longtime listener to Happy Sack Confused, or if you're a new listener and you're in the New York area for the holidays, I hope you'll come by, say hello, uh, and enjoy what uh, will be a special night. I'm, I couldn't be more excited. So yeah, Happy Sack Confused Live, December 22nd. Go to bell, thebellhouseny.com for tickets. Um, beyond that, let's see, what else should we catch up on, guys? Well, there's Star Wars to talk about. No, I haven't seen it yet. Nobody has seen it yet outside of the cast. Um, but I did get a chance to sit down with the entire gang the other day in Los Angeles, and it was fantastic. I'm still not absorbing the fact that this will be was the last time I'm going to talk to this cast about a Star Wars film. I'm in major denial because I love them so much. But... Um, yeah, they were they were fantastic. We played some games, had some silly, fun conversations. Uh, Daisy and John and Oscar and JJ, the whole gang. Um, those uh, conversations are going to be go up, going up very soon on MTV's um, platforms, as it were: YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I will send it on on out. So if you follow me, you'll be able to see all that fun stuff. Um, one other thing to, to, to hype up that I've been doing lately, uh, as, as you know, if you follow me, you know I've been doing this great new series, I think it's great at least, uh, called On, on Location. Um, I've been having a blast uh, with it. It's for the Paramount Network, where we've been visiting iconic film locations with actors or filmmakers associated with the film. Well, our latest episode is up, and I'm so proud of it. It's on 500 Days of Summer, and it's with the wonderful Zoe Deschanel. We went back to the Redwood, which is a bar uh, restaurant in downtown LA. It's the scene in the film, if you remember, where they karaoke and they really kind of bond, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel's characters. So we went back to that karaoke bar, had a blast with Zoe, and the episode came out great, and I'm so proud of it. Um, you can, again, check that out on my social media, Joshua Horowitz, or go to Paramount Network's YouTube page or Facebook page. It's up there. That's the newest episode of On Location. Um, okay, that's enough plugs for now. I gave you an episode of On Location, I gave you Star Wars, I gave you a live event, and I'm now going to give you the one and only Mr. Ed Harris. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. How can you not? Here's Ed. I'm just thrilled beyond belief, though, that Ed Harris is sitting in my office. It's good to have you here, sir. Thank you, Josh. Good to be here. Uh, congratulations on um, this new slash old piece of work. I mean, obviously, To Kill a Mockingbird is very familiar to all of us, but um, this is through the lens of Aaron Sorkin, and this is through your wonderful performance. Uh, talk to me. I was just telling you, I saw you on stage last night. Like, do you recall each performance? Like, when you come off stage, are you like, that was a good one. That was a B plus. That was an A minus. I definitely have a feeling about the, the evening, for sure. Yeah. Last was night last was night. actually, I actually felt last night was one of our best shows that we've had in the last five weeks. You know, I think that's how many, this is our fifth week of doing it. Yeah. Uh, 24 for me. Not that I'm counting. No. <laughs> you don't have like an etch in the wall as you walk off but stage it, and cross another one off. You know, but Aaron's script is is such that it's kind of a bottomless pit. In other words, you can just, you know, every night is, is something new you're exploring. So yeah. I'm just trying to keep penetrating it. And last night I just felt very connected to what was going on. I mean, you've, you've obviously done so much theater in your life. I'm, I'm wondering, like, is the goal to 
perfected at a certain point and then replicate it from there on out? Hell or, no. No. Yeah, Not for me. You're maybe, reiterating everything. Maybe time. for some people. But to me, it's, uh, I really try to see where it's going to take me every night, you know. It's it's a whole new journey, hopefully every night. Yeah. And not that there's certain things that come out pretty much the same, but you know, it is any given line, any given thing you say, is an infinite variety ways to communicate what you're trying to say with right. those words, as well as listening and responding to what you're getting from your fellow actors. So it's always very alive, you know. I try to keep it very fresh. Is is that part of the discipline to? <clears throat> never go on autopilot to be present. In well, it is moment. for me, you know, I mean, it's all about being present, you know, having your feel feet on the ground and breathing and in the moment. What do you if do you if, if, and when your mind ever wanders, is there a way to get I back try, to I try to feel my feet on the ground yeah. and let gravity do its work and breathe Interesting. and listen. So, Get my head out of my ass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> These are good lessons for all of us, no matter what your yeah. line of work, exactly. frankly. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, very apropos to my line of work, too. Um, I mean, talk to me about, you know, tackling something like this, which, you know, Atticus Finch, in some ways, it's like Mickey Mouse or Santa Claus. It's an icon as much as it's a flesh and yeah, blood character. Yeah, very much so. And, and your goal, obviously, as an actor is to make him feel... Yeah. Feel the, feel the well, you know, when I when I was first asked to do this, I I got an email from Scott Rudin, the producer. You know, I was in San Francisco watching my daughter do in a play up there, and it was just something like, you know, from Scott Rudin. Okay, what does he want? It says, uh, "Do you want to play Atticus Finch?" And I knew, you know, I knew Jeff was doing it. I knew the play had been going on for quite a while, and I got, you know, I, my heart's beating a little bit. And I got kind of excited. And, and my first thought was, okay, well, how do I get Gregory Peck out of my head? Because it's such an indelible yeah. image. And I, I love that film. And I haven't seen it for quite a while. But I've seen it a number of times. It's ingrained and, with all of us, yeah. And it's... And what was very helpful in terms of getting him out of my head was Aaron's script. Because it's, he really kind of cracked the story open a little bit, you know. And he's made it... Extremely relevant, I think, to today. Not that it wasn't initially, but it even even more so now. And during the process of rehearsal, it was possible to you know finally just you know let that let Gregory and that film be. And yeah. like this is a whole new deal we're dealing with, a whole new experience. And let's just see where it takes us. You know. And I think what you say is very true. It's it's often a cliche when I'm talking to actors and stuff about new projects of like the relevancy of it has today. But but truly watching it last night and hearing the language and the themes expressed, you know, how to be a decent person in indecent times is something that I think we're all kind well, of Well, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's about a lot of things that are in kind of short supply today, at least, you know, coming from the, from the head of our government. Um, honor, you know, truth, courage, yeah. respect, tolerance, etc. You can name it. <laughs> and not to mention dealing with, you know, I mean, I think for some of us that, that, that I won't speak for you, but like, I think a lot of people, you know, in the last administration, like, oh, like, we've solved some problems. We've moved past some things. It may, it might, we might have deluded ourselves. Big time. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Obviously, we did. Um, and all this stuff has been dredged up, and it's, it's just yeah. going to be the constant battle of You know, America. I mean, in terms of listening to, like, the Bob Yule character or his daughter spout this racist, you know, yeah. talk, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, the Aryans and 
white supremacists are have a voice now, yeah. you know, and you hear it too much. It's chilling. Yeah. Um, so you never saw Jeff's performance. That was that a conscious decision to avoid? I hadn't seen it prior to being asked to do it, and when I was when I decided to do it, I didn't want to see it. I just didn't want to be influenced by it. Right. You, know, you already I, had Peck to deal with. Why deal with another? Yeah, where? yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand it was a wonderful, wonderful produ- production. I'm sure it is. And we got a new group of people and we're doing our own thing. So so is the blocking, do you kind of like start from scratch in some well, ways? Well, you know, I mean, you saw the, you saw the, the play. And yeah. so in terms of all the movement of all the stage pieces and it's all that it has yeah. to be the yes. same yeah. and so there are certain and then in terms of the lighting and but there a lot of things have all changed a little bit yeah. you know and within scenes and the relationships i mean it's all we approached it at least uh bart you know the director bart lecher um he really encouraged us you know, let's explore this play like we're doing it the first time i mean it was more of a job for him to allow himself to Open his mind a little bit, right? Open his mind and allow us to explore, which he did to his credit, you know. Talk to me a little bit. I mean, it struck me last night watching it, like you mentioned that how Aaron has kind of cracked this open. I mean, it's a very familiar story, but it's it's in the way it's told and the way it plays with time and and the narration of the of the kids who are older. Um, and it works somehow. Like yeah, at first you're like, wait, is this gonna work? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's like this. This feels like it's it. This is a recipe for disaster, and somehow it, it totally works. Um, but the thing I was gonna say is, you get to kind of present to the audience quite a bit too. As much as you're like kind of like you know, you, you're obviously a big portion of the of the stage show is the trial. Um, is that helpful in, in a way, in that you have kind of like these moments where you're you're at, as much playing to the audience as to your fellow actors? Well, particularly, actor? you know, it's it's. Like in his whole summation, you know, I mean, there's the, it's it's weird because the jury is all white men right. a, a, who aren't there, which we never see. You know what I mean? Great, yeah, which yeah. is kind of fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, you really don't need a dozen white guys yeah. sitting up there. You know, but in it, 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 just in terms of the directorially, you know, the audience kind of becomes the jury. Yes. You know, and that's just that has been. Uh, that's basically what the director has asked us to do. You know, I mean, and Scout talks to the audience quite a bit because yes. she's narrating it as well as the other, you know, the other two kids. So, yeah. but it, you know, you can't help but be, you know, you can't help but be aware of the energy of the audience because there's a lot of laughter. Yeah. The consistency of the responses in the audiences is kind of remarkable in terms of, What's working, when you know what, when you know what's going to be coming, you know there's certain levels of intensity of that those responses, but there it's invariably ninety five percent in the same spots every night. Isn't it always remarkable too? I mean, I know this as an audience member, like the difference. The difference in stillness. There are different kinds of quiet. I feel like you can feel. I don't know about you as an actor. Definitely. There's just quiet, and then there's just like a, a, a chill in the air where it's it's just like sub quiet. It gets even. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? How aware how, how aware are you of that? And does that make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up when you feel those moments? Well, you try to make sure those. You try to demand those moments. To tell you the truth. Yeah, that means it's working. Yeah, I mean, you have to. Yeah. Sometimes you have to say, we're just here right now, everybody. Like, shut the fuck up. You know, yeah. m- maybe stop coughing so much. Yeah. 
what takes what 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 gets under your skin the most when you're seeing out into an audience? I mean, well, phones ringing. Does it still happen much? Yeah. <laughs> we two nights ago it happened a couple times. That's crazy. Um, and people that, yeah, no, you you, you can. You just, you know, you have that split consciousness where you're right. on a stage and you're dealing with your actors, but you're, you're very aware of the energy out there. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you have to deal with it. You have to hopefully control it in some way. Right. So we were talking about, you know, themes of decency, um, you know, Atticus, like, stands in literature and in pop culture for, for many growing up as sort of like the the epitome of decency of what it means to be a good husband and a father and, uh, and just a decent man in, in troubling times growing up. Did you have that kind of picture of, of, of decency to look up to? Uh, well, I got to say that my dad was incredibly decent individual. He was very gentle, very kind, very generous. Uh, even though he didn't have much, but he was very generous, open hearted, very liberal, very tolerant. Um, I mean, he never raised his voice, hardly, ever, ever. I mean, the only time he ever really got seriously upset with me, when I was like 14, and we, I used to sneak out at night and take the car and pick my buddies up and drive around Tenafly, New Jersey, where I grew up. Right. And one night, a pal of mine wanted to drive and smash the car into a tree. and So my dad wasn't so happy about that. It was a brand new car, which we, you know, could hardly afford anyway, and he came into my room the next day, and he said, what are you going to do next, Ed? Rob County Trust Bank? I mean, that was as mad as he ever got at me. Right. But that obviously, I mean, and, and, and how much of an impact that makes when even he raises his voice slightly and with a different tone, I mean, you still remember it now. Yeah, well, what I said was, yeah, Dad, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's I was it. just being a smart ass. Right, you know? right, you were being a kid. And then the other dad probably would have smacked me but back then, but no, not even close. Huh. He was very, very honorable individual, I gotta say. What did your family make of your decision to get into the? Well, arts? They, you know, I, it was kind of gradual. I mean, I didn't start studying acting until I was twenty-one, I think. So, was it a shock to them that, like, because you were you were on the athletic kind of path? I yeah, know, and, I don't think it was a shock. I mean, uh, my dad was a singer, you know, and he was entertainer and did a lot of theater, community theater kind of things. Been in a few films with me and. Uh, he was in the early days of TV, like a Perry Como show and the Gary Moore show. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, uh, no, I, I think they're always encouraged, you know, if there's something you want to do and you, yeah. you know, want to work at it, go ahead. He must have gotten a kick out of it then if that was part of his. I think so. Yeah, they were pretty proud. They were pretty proud of him. He was pretty <laughs> proud of me. <laughs> so, you know, obviously we don't have time to go through every single thing, but like the first time I, I saw you, Growing up, and it, coincidentally, I watched this film recently. was a, was the right stuff. Um, which yeah, is, man, that was like what eighteen thirty seven years ago. <laughs> I mean, but it was <laughs> it was such a I was mean, it that long ago? It was eighty three, right? Yeah, eighty three. Yeah, Philip Kaufman, yeah. Caleb Deschanel, the DP. Yeah. I mean, everybody. It, it's just the top notch production yeah. from top to bottom. The Bill Conti score. Right. Oh my God, I right. was watching it the other day. Like you're near, I'm near tears watching the end when mm. you know Dennis Quaid's up there. You're a Mission right. Control. Right. It, it's also, I mean, a number of things jump out to me about it, like the company of actors you were with. I mean, they were your contemporaries. They are your contemporaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did it feel like 
this is, you know, that was, you, know, you think of like a movie like The Big Chill, I think a movie like Right Stuff. There were a few films where that really collected mm-hmm. a lot of talent on screen. Yeah, Dennis, did you feel, Scott Glenn, Fred Ward, yeah. And you did you know those guys before, during, after? Did you feel a camaraderie with that group? Uh, we felt, you know, we felt it was a camaraderie during that time. Yeah. For sure, when we were working together. You know, it was also a little bit of, probably a little bit of competition or something. Sure. You know, which was built, kind of built into the story a little bit. But... You know, kind of keep tabs. I haven't didn't really become super close friends with any of them. You know, yeah. I I did work with Sam quite a bit after after that. You know, well, right around that, you also did Fool for Love, right? It was after Sam we Shepherd. had shot it. Yeah, that's when when he was working on it, and we, I remember we had a reading during the filming. But then it was the f- fall after we had finished filming that we actually did it at the Magic, and then we moved it Circle Rep. You know, yeah. So was he somebody that? You maintained a relationship with to a degree yeah. over the years? Yeah, definitely. Special man. Yeah. Could do everything. No, I miss him. Yeah. <laughs> so that movie also starts this this kind of strange, like, mini track in your career of the you know, returning to the space program a few different times in odd yeah. ways. Yeah. Do you have, like, executive privilege at NASA? Like, do you No, ha- but they, you know, they <laughs> often ask me to show up whatever or something, and I, I, I'm usually busy, and, you know, I have, I mean... I think space exploration, I've nothing against it, but I'm not a huge... <laughs> Just one of those coincidences. Yeah. But, I mean, some icons. I mean, John Glenn, Gene Kranz. I mean, these are... Yeah. No, I mean, it's been fun playing those guys and learned a lot about about the flight and the space program doing those films, but it's not like something that I... Right. It's not one of something that's... I'm going to go after these space yeah. films. No, just it's the way. It, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I, this is a constant refrain in conversations. A lot of people from the outside looking in think actors are in control of their own careers. And some, you know, if you're Tom Cruise, <laughs> you can choose a lot. But yeah, right. The, the, <laughs> you laugh at that. Did, have you ever felt like you're steering the ship of your career or do you feel like it's. Well, more so theater wise in right. terms of deciding to do a play or not, you know. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, I guess the only control I have is saying no. Basically, which is a powerful. I don't thing. want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, what are the what are the turnoffs for you in a, in a project? Are there things you see in a script that you're like, you throw just, that across the some, you know, just whether it's just lame, you know, <laughs> just or a character that is just not appealing to me. That is just not something I want to investigate. Yeah. right now, could be the director, somebody I don't have any feeling for, or whatever. You right. never know. So in the years, was the right stuff a, a bit of a turning point? In- I guess so, for sure. I mean, it was the first kind of major film I was in, right. you know. Um, and started, yeah, I started working quite a bit after that, I guess. Working with some quality directors too, Jonathan Demme, Robert Benton. Yeah, Benton and Louis Maul, and, you know. Um, for you, uh, you know, if you don't want to talk about it, it's totally fine. But for years, I know you, it, the abyss has been a, a tough subject for you to talk about because it wasn't. Oh, it's not tough anymore, but it was just a really tough shoot. I mean, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look from day one, was I, mean, it, I think the abyss. I think it's a really good movie oh, until I, the like the last I, ten minutes. I love that movie. I was really disappointed in in Jim's in this thing that comes up out of the water. It just looked like a tie-dyed bathtub or something. I just didn't understand that, you know. So from day one, was it just like oil and water, you and Jim? It just felt like... No, no, it's not so much Jim and I, oil and water. It was it was the situation we were in. I mean, we were down South Carolina yeah. shooting in this abandoned nuclear power plant in the big, 
you know, cooling tank that had never been activated, 700,000 gallons of water, and we had to shoot at night for one thing. Right. Because it was supposed to be so deep that there was no sunlight down there. And it just, we would, you know, you'd go to the set and you'd sit around for eight, ten hours before you even worked because they're trying to figure stuff out. You know, and then he'd go down there and his, with his mask and his fins and his, and his communication and do something and say, okay, then you go in there with a w- suit that's not, you know, that's negatively weighted with no air supply of your own. Uh, and it's, it's just like, come on, man, what the fuck? Right. Is it, is that, if that comes on TV, is that a tough one to watch because of the baggage associated? No, with not it? at all. I mean, I think it's at cool. Point, I yeah. like the film. Yeah. I mean, I really do. No, it I, works. I, yeah. yeah. And I met some really great people doing that film. You know, a couple of them aren't with us anymore. Yeah. Louis Burmeister and, uh, another, the other fellow shot himself. The, um, it's funny, then you go into, I don't know if it was immediately thereafter, I'm like, you go into one tough situation, then you go into, which I feel is like not necessarily a chill group of people, but State of Grace is a great movie, but that's like some tense fellows you're working with on that one. Yeah, well, that was a, that was a crazy time, man. Yeah. How so? Well, we're shooting in Hell's Kitchen, everybody's out of their mind, you know, <laughs> in a good way, actually, for the film. Sean Penn, Gary Oldman, out of their minds? What? <laughs> Quality actors, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um... Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross might be one of the most watchable, rewatchable films ever made for me. I had such a good time working with, uh, you know, Alan on that. Oh, my God. It was really Alan fun. Alan amazing. Yeah. They're all amazing. Yeah. Um, you strike me as somebody that doesn't get intimidated too easy. With that company of actors, though, I mean, are there moments on set when you're with the Pacinos? No, I never felt intimidated, you know. I, I always felt like, come on, let's just do this. You know? Yeah. Did that come from? Did you find that from the start when you shifted into acting? Like, was there a, a comfort immediately on the stage and on a set that felt like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing? Or did that come with years of kind of honing your craft, as it were? Mm, well, you know, the first stuff I was doing on camera was a bunch of television stuff. You know, in the late '70s, uh, all those like Hugh Grant, all like Lou yeah. Grant, yeah. Heart to Heart, Chips. Barnaby Jones. <laughs> you did it all. You know, you name it. Um, and I, I can't say that doing those shows, I felt like, yeah, this is what I'm, this is my home or anything. But uh, stage-wise, I've always felt pretty comfortable on the stage. Yeah. You know. Why do you think that is? Well, because that's what I did. I mean, that's, that's what I studied. And that's when I got out of school, I just would do, I was just doing theater in L.A. I was doing 90, you know, 99-seat equity waiver theater. I probably did. 13, 14 plays in like three years when I got out of school. Right. So I you mean, did your 10,000 hours. You kind of yeah, got it in. No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, still do. I'm sure. You feel, you feel that way? You still, you're still. Hell yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do it otherwise. Right. You don't want to be on autopilot. The, um, so back to the film, film work, uh, Sidney Pollock, uh, enjoyable to work with on the firm. The firm. Yeah. I got along Sydney Great. Yeah. Yeah. You and you and Tom Cruise have just reteamed after twenty five plus. Yeah, years. a little bit of the, the, the Top Gun two thing. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Was he? I, mean, I just worked for a few days. I like Tom. I get along fine with him. He's amazing. Yeah. I, he's a. I mean, a movie star in the best possible way. The best mm-hmm. version of a movie star. I think yeah, he knows yeah. what he is. Definitely. Um, yeah, and he treats everybody with, with respect. You know. Right. So in something like that, because that's is that is is Jerry producing that one again? Jerry Bruckheimer, yeah, you yeah. you've obviously worked yeah. with him a few times, right? Because you know you you obviously have great taste, 
and yet and, and you've also been able to work in those kind of quote unquote big budget Hollywood movies. And by and large, they've been been good ones that work on their own terms. Um, are those again like has it felt like a necessary product of, of, of having a successful career of doing things like The Rock, or does it feel like, oh yeah, this is actually satisfying to me to do stuff like this? It's paycheck. No, it's not. Well, it's, some of those Some are. of them? National Treasure's a paycheck. Well, you gotta be honest <laughs> about that. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Caine's I been mean, honest. I mean, I'm you know, supporting my family, my mother, et cetera, et cetera, so it's like, yeah, you gotta be able to support, provide. And so there are certain decisions you make that aren't purely you know, aesthetic ones. Right. But you try to make, keep those to a minimum. You get along with, uh, with Michael Bay all right? I get along great with Michael. He could be yelling and screaming at everybody, but I don't, you know, I don't take him seriously. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. I've been on one of his sets, and I've sort of seen him, and I think, I appre you know, you appreciate somebody that's a straight shooter, at least. Someone that's like, A, knows what they're doing. Yeah. And B, it's, it's not... No, he kind of cracks me up, to tell you the truth. Yeah, he's kind yeah. of a caricature of, a, of that <laughs> yeah. kind of guy, right? Well... I remember when we were working on The Rock, and he and he said, he said, Ed, am I as tough as Jim Cameron? And I said, Michael, I said, what are you, what are you talking about? What do you emulate that for? You, you know, you get as much out of somebody being like smart and kind. Yeah, and, that's not you know, the goal. Like, can I, can I get, do I get an yeah, award for being yeah. the biggest? <laughs> Whatever. All right, but then he achieved he achieved his goal. He wanted to be known as this like hard driving dude. So I guess that's what he is. Um, yeah, I was, I was watching, like, there's, like, there's, there's outtakes from The Rock where it seems like you're being pretty hard on yourself, like, through scenes. Like, it's like, you're, like, you're your toughest critic, Well, I remember there like. was some rap I had to give about Thomas Jefferson and somebody else, yeah. and it was just kind of full of, it was just like, come on. <laughs> and, and I just get so frustrated, and then I started pounding this yeah. phone thing. So every time I had to do something, he'd just bring the phone to me, like, you know, <laughs> get my adrenaline going, and then... But is that indicative of how you are in terms of how you treat yourself on a set? Like, are you your own toughest critic? Does it? I guess I probably am. I mean, you know, certain little things you can frust get frustrated, but I, uh, I can't. You can't, especially in film. You can't necessarily rely on a director to demand from you yes. your best work. You have to do it yourself. Yeah, often they're looking at a lot of other things. Yeah. Is that something you realized early on? Like, I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of my side of the street. Cause... Well, uh, certain, certain experiences, for sure, yeah. they lead you to that. But, I mean, I love working with directors who, who you... I mean, I love working with directors. If, you know... If, if we have a good, good, good relationship. Yeah. I love being challenged. I love being asked questions. I love being, you know, directed. You know, it's very helpful. Um, what about uh, something like uh, The Truman Show? Um, which... Was an odd circumstance, I know, because I think Dennis Hopper had started. Yeah, I came in really late. I had like a couple of days before I had to be on a set. I think it was. I don't remember. And I had to go to New York. I met Peter out on a beach and asked, you know, Peter Weir, of course. They were shooting yeah. out in Malibu, and then I had to go to New York, a buddy of mine, for something, and then came back and started working like on a Tuesday or something. But uh, I love. I really love, love working with Peter, and I really enjoyed working with him on the way back. You yeah. know that not hardly anybody saw because he kind of dropped that uh, financially. They didn't want to put any more money into it. But he's he's such a thorough director. I mean, he's so uh, aware of all aspects of the production in such a creative, 
positive way. You know, yeah. I really like working with him. You look at that resume. He's it's just so eclectic. He can clearly do any kind of a yeah. film. He well, you know, the too. way back kind of really, really bugged him because he, 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 it was a tough shoot. I think it's you know, I think the movie, maybe not his greatest film, but I think there's an awful lot of really good stuff in that film and. It just got dismissed, you know. Yeah, I think that was his last one too. That's a wild. Yeah, I don't think he's made a film since. I saw him in uh, in Spain not long ago. We were, he was being honored, and I was getting some, and it said Sitges, and uh, it was really nice to see him because I hadn't seen him for a while. Yeah, I mean, does it feel like on something like that? You're obviously not in any scenes with Jim, Jim Carrey. Like when you see the finished product, like like when you're delivering that beautiful kind of like last plea to your your child in a way, right? Um, which always moves me watching that. Mm -hmm. Like, had he already shot that? Are you seeing reference of what, what he had done or is about, or is going to do? I mean, is that challenging for you? I mean, obviously it's the nature of film where sometimes the actor isn't there, but that seems like, I'm extreme. trying to remember. I don't really recall. I mean, in my memory, I'm talking to him <laughs> on the screen, but I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. I don't remember. Amazing. Well, that speaks well to the situation, I suppose. Yeah. Um, not so long after that, you kind of reached a, what was... You completed a passion project, which was Pollock, yeah. obviously, which was something that, as I understand, it wasn't necessarily the plan to direct. Not initially, no. I mean, I worked on that pretty much most of the 90s in, in terms of the script, which was initially 262 pages long. Uh, and... We got the rights to the work, started painting, met a lot of people. Uh, yeah, finally shot it in 99, I think it was. So were you trying to get other people to direct you in that? I showed it to some people. I showed it to Peter. I showed it to Neska Holland. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if the script, if I had really got the script in the, the best shape. And then I got a call from you know Peter Brandt, who, who produced Basquiat, a big art collector. Mm -hmm. He ended up financing it partially. And he and Robert De Niro were buddies, and Bob Bob and I had worked on Jackknife, and and De Niro had directed his first film not too long prior to that, and he actually called me and said, you know, you should just do this yourself, you know, you should direct it yourself, which was kind of encouraging, because, and I also realized I didn't, you know, the people that I showed it to, they they had their own thoughts and ideas about it, and I and I had spent so long and so much time on this. I said, I don't want to hand this over to somebody else. You know? Right. So I just took a deep breath and said, all right, let's see if we can handle this. Did it, you've directed, I also, Appaloosa's a great film to move. Yeah, I love Appaloosa. You know, I've got this other thing I'm trying to get going. If I can get the damn money, it's just hard. I've been trying to raise the money for like three years, you know. <laughs> Streaming, novel, Netflix. Montana, <laughs> Montana novel that I've adapted, oh. yeah. So what? So did did the experience of Pollock feel like, did it shift anything for you in terms of, that's that's a big experience. Well, directing. it just made me. First of all, it fulfilled something that I right. that had Which has to be become obsessed with. Right. Secondly, I realized that I could direct a film, and then I, you know, tried to find another. And then it was seven, eight years later. I did Appaloosa. Now it's been ten years since then. You know, more. It's something I love to do. In terms of film, I really love directing. I'm not a director, as you know, for hire. Right. But if you know. But I really love it because it's just, it's consuming, you're in charge artistically, you're constantly making decisions creatively, 
It's a 24-7 endeavor as opposed to being act, an actor in a film where you go to the set and you sit around in your fucking trailer for 10 hours and you're in front of the camera for five minutes. Right. You know, which is at this point in my career after doing this for so long drives me absolutely crazy. Right. Even more than did it at the start. Now it's, yeah, it's not gotten easier. It's gotten No, <laughs> it's just like, what am I doing? Yeah, I'm an actor. I this is what what I want to do. I don't. I'm not being paid. I mean, you are being paid to sit around. Sometimes it feels. Yeah, like. but it just it gets a little tough at times. What do you do in the downtime? How do you keep your mind active and keep stay present? In a trailer, you mean? Yeah. I have. I always have my baseball glove with me. <laughs> two of them, and I have catches. I try to read something. Depends what I'm doing and what the scene is that I'm working on that day. Because if it's a certain kind of intensity required and a certain place I need to be I'll kind of just trying to stay in a certain yeah you know place in my being you know to to be there when it's time to go but you know you just I don't know play Scrabble on your <laughs> phone I mean you know whatever like what we're all doing yeah. <laughs> when we're not working um the baseball club reminds me of the there's there's folklore about you in Field of Dreams that you are the voice. No, that's that's not true. Not true. Not but at all. That's just the Amy Association. Yeah. Maybe jump to that conclusion. Yeah. Sounded a little. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're doing this Yankees White Sox thing on the field. Is how so? In the, in the spring, they're doing this whole game. Oh, really? On yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, on the field of the movie. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm a big Yankee fan. That's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, me I'm too. I grew up with. I was. I grew up with Mickey Mantle. You know, like in the '50s, man. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm the Don Mattingly re, uh, yeah. generation. I always like to yeah. say, like, I, I grew, I when I came of age, it was like the the ten years where they actually didn't make the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like there was actually a time when the Yankees right. sucked, and it yeah. was right before Mattingly or what? the Mattingly era. Basically, are they going to get a pitcher or what? It sounds like it. Yeah, they're looking at the, all the Strasburg, the big ones, right? They're yeah. Looking for a free yeah. agent. Talking to Cole, we'll see. We'll sure see. help. Yeah. Let's just not go into the Knicks. Yeah. You're a basketball fan too. All right. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I follow. I'm not huge. Yeah. Um, you've, TV's always been pretty good to you. I mean, you've, you've from the start, I mean, you've done some, you've done HBO things before. Uh, yeah, a couple. Yeah. Empire Falls and. Yeah. Game change, obviously. Yeah, game change. Yeah. So, so no wariness when, when Westworld came around. Well, you know, I talked to Jonah Nolan, creator of it, and it sounded, you know, sounded pretty interesting and. Um, it it was a pretty cool character to play. I thought, not that I knew exactly where it was going. I was gonna say, I mean, it's it's because well known she, by if now. I had known what season three was like, I'm not sure I would have said yes. You wanted to be in the West. It's called Westworld. <laughs> season three, man. Mm. Less horses. Yeah. That's <laughs> your spoiler. <laughs> a few. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that must be, I mean, I guess, let's look at the bright side, invigorating in some ways that it's constantly surprising you. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, definitely constantly surprising me. But challenging and, that and you don't know the arc, you don't know where you're going from the start, like that's... It's a little bizarre, yeah. I mean, it's well known, you didn't, you didn't know Jimmy was playing you, that's insane, from the no, start. Jimmy no, Simpson. Right. <laughs> I mean, is that... I saw this guy. I saw this guy walking around trailers. Who's that? And I said, "Oh, that's he's the guy. He's playing you younger." I said, "What?" <laughs> anyway, is Alan Funt back? Is Candid Camera come back around? <laughs> um, no, I mean it's just you know people get it. People that dig it, it really dig it, yeah. and it and it's 
it's a very interesting thing to work on, you know. It it is a commitment, obviously, of time, and but uh, you know, I'm I'm game. <laughs> Do you feel like? Are you reactive to what you've just worked on? Like when you've just done something like when you come off Mockingbird, are you going to be itching to do a whole different kind of a thing? Well, I'm hoping to get in pre-production on this thing I want to do in April, you know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I just, I can't really, I don't know how I'll feel. Yeah. Are there directors that have surprisingly eluded you? Over the years, it's, it's, I never worked with Scorsese. That's what I, it struck you know, me too. I thought of that, which would be fun, I'm sure. I never worked with Spielberg, you know those kind of guys. Come close on either of those? I don't think so. Where the Cone, where the Cone brothers? Where are the, the uh, Cone brothers? The Cone brothers did ask me at one point to do one of their films, and I was busy. I couldn't do it. Can't do it all. One of the least successful films, actually. <laughs> which one? Was, was the. We can work on this after the yeah, podcast. Yeah. Okay. Ed and I are going to crack this nut. Um, <laughs> so yeah, still time know, for the cones. Yeah. And I really would like to work with my, you know, and I'd like to work with director Bong again, which would really oh, be cool. Snowpiercer, of course. Yeah. Worked on. yeah. Have you seen Parasite? I saw, yeah. Parasite's great. Oh my God. I dug it. It's The guy kills me, you know, all of his films blow me away. Yeah. He's kind of simultaneously both like a dramatist and a satirist and like all yeah. of it. He can do it all. Yeah. No, and he's, plus he's a good guy, you know. And I'd really like to work with Agnieszka Holland again. You know, we've made three movies together, sure. but it's been a while. So, And I wouldn't I'd love to work Peter Weir again. That's fine. Ran into Ron Howard the other day. Wouldn't mind working with Ron again. Good guy. Yeah. Just a solid guy. Yeah. Is, uh, do you get excited by, like, when you see, like, a, a young actor deliver a powerhouse performance? Does that inspire you, excite you? Do you have uh, Yeah, it's always fun to see good work. You know, I mean, there's so many good actors out there. It's kind of amazing, really. And there's so much being done now. You know, like you can't keep up with everything. It's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> Do you watch much TV or streaming? Or? I'll get into certain shows, you know. Yeah. But uh, right now I haven't because I'm you know, busy doing a play. Yeah. Do you, do you find you're a different person during a production? Like, is there Ed during work and Ed off hours? Like, in terms of, like, for this run, for this four months or whatever you're doing, are you a bit of a different guy than you are the rest of the year? <laughs> if I asked Amy? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, because I'm doing eight shows a week, so I've got to stay, you know. Yeah, you can't turn that on and focused, off like that. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm here for six months to do this play eight shows a week. That's why I'm here. Yeah. There's no other reason that I'm here in right. New York. And so that's my focus. Right. You know? whatever I got to do during the day to make sure that night I can do the best job I can. That's what I do. Do the accolades mean much? You're, I feel like you're an actor's actor. Actors I don't, appreciate well, you. Well, you know, I don't even... I mean, it's nice to be appreciated, you know what I mean? But like this instance, it's already been... Right. There's no Tony thing. There's none of that stuff. Yeah. This I'm is just, just doing, for the work. I'm just doing a play. So it's really kind of refreshing. Yeah. There's none of that baggage associated with yeah. it. Yeah. But it should be said, I'll say this kind of thing because you can't, but for Oscar nominations, it's kind of crazy that there's not at least one in the one of those statues at the at the home base. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? 
Um, well, you come back when, when <laughs> come back when you get the Oscar, or if not sooner. <laughs> okay, be a pleasure, Josh. Um, honestly, I, I, as you can tell, I'm such a fan of your work, and you, you're you're killing it again on stage. I really should check out To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, what you said, you've got about 20 weeks left. You got 19 weeks left to catch Ed. After this week, we've got. 19. Okay. But who's counting? Yeah, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not. Uh, A real pleasure, sir. Thanks for Thanks, Josh. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 